Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells Kant. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And we left you with a cliffhanger last time about something Amanda was going to talk about, which is... The Ninos. Okay, let's do it. So, my son went to a concert. Oh. What, what concert? The older one, the 19-year-old. Yeah. I don't know who it was, but I know what genre it was. You want to guess the genre? This Country. Is, no. Rap. No. EDM. No. Okay, I don't know. I'm going to give up. Heavy metal. Ah, oh, sick. He got headbutted. Nice. Was he in the pit? I guess so. Fuck yeah. He, he fucking loved it. Hi, he wants Andy. to like make this like he wants to he wants to go back. Oh. Yes, Podson has joined the dark side with my people. Us metalheads, bro. Well, he got headbutted, so now all I can think is like, uh, he's gonna get in an Astroworld situation. <laughs> No, man. They take care of each other in the pit. Believe it or not. Trust me. If someone gets knocked the fuck out, they, they pull you out immediately. And I'm not saying, like, security. I'm saying, like, people in the metal community take care of each other. Can I take him to um, pottery class instead? Hell yeah. And then he could take it with him and smash it in the pit. No. <laughs> like, he's going to say, Mom, I'm going to a concert. And I, I'm like, no, you're going to go to pottery class with me. Are you worried that, about the his fan being a fan of metal music? No, he got headbutted. Yeah, man. So, so. And he sent me a picture. And then, so we have a family group chat. chat. Yeah. We're asleep. We're old. We have work the next day. He sends a picture of his head after he got headbutted. Then him and his wonder twin continue the conversation on i have a samsung watch that's connected to my phone my phone's going off my watch is going off the pod hubby's phone is going off it's the middle of the night we've got work the next day so not only did he get headbutted they're having a grand old conversation on the family chat. They're deciding to keep you guys awake while they're having this. Like, can y'all just take this offline or to a separate chat, please? Because, bro, it's no. You're lucky I didn't chime in and tell you to get your ass home. <laughs> you can't control my life, mom. I get I'm the cool mom, but sometimes I don't need to know everything. Well, that and also sleep. Yes. Leave me the fuck alone. I'm tired. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> I just want to go to bed. Yes, I'm old. Well, I'm proud. He took it like a champ and's going back for more. Nice. No, I need him to cry and run home with his tail between his legs. What? I'm the bomb. Yeah, but do you really want your son, after he gets hit in the face in a mosh pit, to go ryan- crying, running home to mom? Yes, so he won't go back and get headbutted again. <laughs> So, Pod Daughter, I've got news about her now, too. Okay. So then I get a text at work about Pod Daughter. 
She says, so she has, so you know one of her majors is dance, right? Yes. So she has two dance teachers that I guess are husband and wife. And I don't know their last names. We're going to, for purposes of this story, they're going to be called the Smiths. Okay, fair. She says, so guess what? I want a $100 scholarship to the Smiths Summer Intensive this summer. Yay, pod daughter. I'm so excited. And then she's like, I only have to pay for the other $495. Oh. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, well, I have funded this endeavor since you were in first grade. So I come home, I consoled the pod hubby, and I was like, we'll help you with the rest of it. Oh, you guys did decide to pay? I don't know that we're going to pay all of it. But you'll help her out. Mm-hmm. Got it. I mean, she does have two jobs. That's what I'm going to say. Like, she, she can afford it now, and it's a good learning lesson. She has a substantial amount in her bank account. Right. And savings, which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, your kids are set up. Like, they've set themselves up because of your tutelage uh, very, very well. So they're not, they're miles ahead of a ton of kids their age as far as, like, savings and jobs and everything else that they're doing. So they're going to be fine. Yeah. So that's exciting that she did. I mean, you know, when you hear the amounts, they did give her a scholarship. That's big time. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, obviously they do see something in her and that's like amazing. So, you know, I was really proud of her. So it is going to cut into my summertime with her and that does make me sad. Yeah. I'm sorry. But they'll both be home in two weeks, and that makes me exactly. super excited. I was going to say, they're going to be here, and then you're going to be happy, happy, happy. I am going to be happy because it may, it gives us a pod studio refrigerator filled with booze. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the pod daughter's fridge comes home, as well as her. Mm-hmm. And with it comes a new pod fridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because she's getting an apartment next year, mm-hmm. so she doesn't have to take it anywhere after that. Exactly. And it's super cute. It's red. It's retro. I love it. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be Me either. Great. We don't have to leave this room. We will not. Awesome. I mean, we do need a bathroom. But technically, yeah. So we yeah, should probably we, leave this room. I have <laughs> thought eventually. about making like, because we only have one bathroom up here and a lot of bedrooms. Yeah. I thought about like making that closet up. Like a half bath. Uh huh. That's a good idea mm-hmm. because then it, you know, it's like an it. It truly is an office. You know, like your own little separate space that you can. Well, and then have. it could be used by both of these bedrooms, this right. one and that one. Yeah. And I think it would increase the value of yeah. the house. Yeah, it's not a bad idea at all. Which is honestly the last thing I need for my property tax situation, <laughs> but. Yeah, it, here in Texas, we don't have a state tax. No, 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 no. They just take it out of you at the end of the year with property taxes, which are super fun. We laughed really hard. Oh, did y'all? We had some rain, y'all. Here in our thunder here, we got some storms a-brewing. We have this random storm happening, so so sorry if you hear <laughs> background noise. We'll try to be keep it out as much as we can, but... I, I can't control nature. Right, exactly. yeah. I, we laughed real hard when the county sent us how much they think my house is worth. Oh, us too. We're like, uh, I guess we should sell because 
Holy shit. <laughs> Where y'all gonna live? Y'all wanna live here? For real, dude. We were like, you've gotta be kidding me. And then a couple of people in our neighborhood listed their houses for that price, and they're getting it. Oh, I guarantee. And I was like, holy crap. I guarantee to you they're getting more than that. It's insane. My coworker is selling her house because um, they're moving. The one that's retiring. Yeah. I know how much she lists her house for, and I know she got over asking um, because she told me. Um, and it was on the market less than 48 hours. That is insane. It is, that's bonkers, guys. That's just not reality. It's not good. And I mean, they're moving out of this area. So for them, it's good. Right. For me, it would be pointless for me to list my house because where the fuck am I going to go? You have to stay in the area because you work in the area. So yeah. it's like it's just trading one for the other. Yeah. So I would it's have, like, I'd have to buy an overpriced house. So right. my house payment would increase and it'd be like a whole situation. It's not worth it. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. But... The moral of this story is, if you don't live here already, stay the fuck where you're at and don't come here. It sucks. We hate it here. We it's hate it here. It's the worst. We hate It's the worst. I mean, really, it kind of is. Greg makes it the worst. Yeah, Greg is not making it easy for anybody. Mm-mm. So, if that isn't doesn't deter you, or hey, come on over and vote against. I mean, you can only come if you're going to vote Greg out. Yeah, he's, um... And Ken. Oh, I mean, we could keep going. Gomert. I mean, okay, I, I, I want to know how how can Ken still be in office when Ken has his own legal issues? Because he pardoned himself, that's how. Isn't that convenient? I mean, you shouldn't be able to do that. Oh, I know, but he can, legally, and he did. Which, I don't even know where to start with that gross abuse of power. But yeah, no, it's pretty gnarly, guys. And this is, again, we're not any one Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green. We're not anything. No. We believe people should be allowed to be people and do whatever the hell they want. And as you know, if you have been following any sort of the news in Texas at all, the government is literally doing the direct opposite. Yeah. And I even have my own, I live in a small town, my own small town drama is happening. Girl, I'll catch you up on that later. Okay, yeah, that'll be another episode. Yeah. Just on the small town drama. <laughs> my own small town. I should start a podcast, small town drama, just about my small town I, drama. Shit, let's do it. I'll just sit here and listen and be like, no, as well you spill the tea. You're going to be like, girl, what? <laughs> like, And I literally could have guests. I'd be like, come on over for an hour. And they'd be like, sure. Let's talk some tea, baby. Yeah. Well, speaking of tea, do you want to get into my C today? Do I? You do. Don't worry. Did Are you going to raise my blood pressure? No. Oh, well, I'm going to raise your blood pressure because this guy's an asshole. But besides that, normal. I mean, because he's a man cunt. Because he's a man cunt. Yes, yeah. exactly. Let's do this. All right. Mark Twitchell was born on July 4th, 1979 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Okay, I don't know why I keep going to Canada. I promise, I, I, I don't know why. It's because you want to live there. I, I, that probably is exactly why. <laughs> I mean, I was just trying to fill out my passport application when I thought you were going to tell me about Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> For more on that, 
Tune into our last episode where she thought I was doing Trophy Dad, Joe Rogan. Girl, but for real, like, I love you. Why? Who do you think I am? I don't know. I heard Rogan. I get that, though. I get that. I've had a long week, and when I'm really tired, my brain doesn't, like, fire at all cylinders because of the brain lesions. <laughs> That's okay. That's fair, though. Because, you know, when you hear a name like Joe Rogan in the news all the time, you're going to associate any other Rogan <laughs> with the name. So I'll give it to you. But don't worry, guys. It wasn't <laughs> Joe Rogan. Go back one episode find out who it was. <laughs> So Mark Twitchell is our douchebag that we're getting into today, and he is from Canada. And Mark was a nerd, like Star Wars, going to Comic-Con after making his own Darth Maul costume nerd, like my people. So Darth Maul, that's the one that's black with the red lines? Yeah. Yeah. I do yeah. have two sons, you guys. Good I job. I know things. I'm proud of you. Thanks. So Mark loved movies, and he wanted to be in the film industry. Um, and I don't have much info about his childhood. You know, this is a more recent crime, but I, I can't really find much about like, you know, what was he like as a kid and what were his aspirations? So it kind of picks up after college. Um, Mark went to the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology where he majored in radio and TV arts program in 2000 and he graduated at 21. There he met Tracy Higgins and they dated for a while, but she ended it after finding out that. Mark had lied to her, allegedly. She also said that she couldn't really trust anything he said. I mean, if she thought he lied to him, that makes sense. Yeah. And I also get it. It's college, and we get your whole life ahead of you. We're not tying anybody down here. He then met Megan Castorella, an American from Illinois, and after ending things with Tracy, he quickly married Megan in 2001. Oh, that's sus. If you jumping into a marriage, you got something to hide. Yeah, and then he moved to Illinois to be with her for a while. Obviously, it wasn't a healthy marriage. There were children, and they divorced in 2004. And then he moved back to Canada to work on his filmmaking. He then met Jess. I don't have her last name, and I'm okay with that. Let's keep her out of this. On a dating site in the fall of 2005, and they dated for a while. So, during this time... Mark was working on what he considered his magnum opus, Star Wars Secrets of the Rebellion. So this is his passion project that he himself is putting on. Um, so he was trying to create his own Star Wars movie? Yes, yes. And this oh. Star Wars movie was like literally days before episode four, A New Hope, the original 1979 vehicle. No, sir. You leave Star Wars to Steven Spielberg. That's who did it, right? No. Oh. George Lucas, who sucks ass. Oh. I'm a Star Wars fan. We can all agree. He can't write for shit. He can't. Then why does everybody like Star Wars? Because the first three were rewritten by his now ex-wife, who knew what the fuck she was doing. And then, you know, the subsequent six have been hit or miss. Jar Jar Binks. That was Lucas's idea. Let's remember this, everybody. And if anything, the spinoffs on Disney Plus are miles way better they're incredible i've cried in every single one <laughs> i don't know if i should admit that mandalorian cried this is baby yoda by the way if you've seen baby yoda this is where baby yoda's coming from oh i love baby yoda exactly i don't know anything about him but i love to look at baby yoda yes so baby yoda and 
His actual real name is Grogu. Spoiler alert, people, but definitely watch it. It's incredible. Um, and then, of course, Boba Fett, incredible, but I digress. Mark was a fucking nerd, and he was a nerd like me, so much of a nerd that he's like, I'm going to make my own film right in between episode three and four. Like, okay. Which would be all fine, and, and everything right now is fine. You can marry who you want. You can get divorced when you want. It doesn't matter, right? Just don't mess with Star Wars? No. Oh. Uh, not even that. I mean, fuck it. At this point, it can't be any worse than what Lucas has done. So, like, you know, get up in there. But the this passion project, he was insufferable, let's say. Uh, to the point where it's like, don't touch that. That's like a real replica Star Wars lightsaber. You're going to break it. It's like, bro, it's in the scene. Like, I have to use it. He's like, okay, be really careful with it because it's like really valuable. He's that guy. He's the well actually guy. Well, actually, that guy. Where you're just like, dude, come on. You're sucking all the fun out of this. Where it's just, we're just making a film, dude. This isn't even funded by a studio. You know, this is essentially a, a college film. Yeah, okay? he's just making it in his garage. Exactly. It, spot on. Spot on with the garage. How'd you know? I'm smart. Yeah, exactly. But that's the point. They're like, dude, chill. This isn't... Disney isn't helping us here. Okay? Yeah. So he's micromanaging each detail of the production. And my impression of him is he takes himself way too seriously. And then he gets in his own way. And people also are kind of like, okay, whatever, Mark. But they like him enough to stick around. He's just a nerd. Okay. Until he killed them all. <laughs> so Jesse With Mark, his lightsaber. Well, God. Could you imagine? Oh. Is I there bet there a- is one. Somebody had to have tried. Or at least, you know, made like their own thing. That's kind of like a lightsaber to, to do something. I don't know. You keep talking. Jess and Mark got married and had a daughter in 2007. Right around this time... Someone had just introduced him to the show Dexter, which he instantly fell in love with. And uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, who doesn't love Dexter? It's a great show until after season four on down kind of gets bad. When he falls in love with his sister, that's Ugh. cringe. What in the fuck was that? Spoiler alert. Heads it, up, guys. But okay. trust us, it's really weird. It was on 10 years ago. I know. I know. But he was really into it. He got so into it that he even made a Facebook profile pretending to be Dexter because he was like cosplaying as Dexter. And then people would be like, ooh, what are you going to do tonight, man? Who you got on your docket? And he'd be like, ooh, I found this guy who's cheating on his wife or whatever. You know, he'd make up some story. But the thing is, is that, again, is all well and good. Do that. Have your own fantasy world. Play it out. Who cares? But, again, remember, he takes things... A little too seriously. So, from a letter he wrote to investigative journalist Steve Lilleboyne, Lilleboyne? Bowen? We're going to go with that. Quote, it would appear that I'm unique in the world. There is no key, no root cause. If I were really, if I really were capable of premeditated murder, normal, healthy, well-adjusted 30-year-old men, I once heard the legend of another worthy victim. I dealt with his remains in a disrespectful manner that manner that traumatized me forever. Psychopathic serial killer. I quickly grew to resent and hate this man. 
it is what it is and I am what I am. Like, really, dude? Chill. Like, you're, you're not... Okay. And it seems like Mark got into his own head that he was Dexter and he wanted to be like him, killing for a righteous cause and killing quote-unquote bad people. But he had to find a bad person first, so he created a scenario. Of course. October 3rd, 2008, on the Plenty of Fish Canadian dating site, Jill's Tetro, on his way to meet a girl named Sheena at her house, gets a text saying, hey, don't meet me out front, meet me in my garage section of my house. Now again, some people go in through their garage, some people go in through the side doors, some people are front door people. You know what I'm saying? We all, we've had this conversation before in a previous episode, actually. And it all, it all depends. Totally get that. He was like, okay, it's kind of weird, but whatever. I'm just picking up this girl and we're going to go on a date. So who cares? Maybe she just wants to like lock the door through the garage and then close the garage door. Right? Mm-hmm. Instead, he didn't meet Sheena. Instead, he was met by Mark in a black and gold mask left over from one of his filmmaking projects who ordered him to get to the ground after pointing a gun in his face. Mark put tape on his eyes and then, you know, Jill's heard all these noises in the background and realizing, holy shit, this is my chance to get away. He fought back and grabbed the gun from Mark and found out it was plastic. Yup. This dumbass is holding this guy up with a plastic gun. It's obviously a prop gun because it looks real. But yes, it was a plastic gun. After that moment, Jills was like, oh, okay, later, dude. And he got away, rolled under the garage door, and ran to his truck and drove away. And in my head, I'm just thinking, Mark's probably like, damn, it was so fucking cool. Like Indiana Jones, you know? Can we take a pause? Yeah, what's going on? I'm devastated. What happened? Naomi Judd passed away. Oh, no. How old was Naomi Judd? 76. Was she really? Yes. How old am I? You're that seems young. I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm thinking 80s, 90s is when you die, not 76. Well, she looked good for her age. Did they say what she died from? Let me go to the article. You're yeah. like my husband. You want all the details, and I don't have them. Well, she was older. Was she... Battling something, I wonder? It says, to the disease of mental illness. Oh, honey. I'm sure there'll be more later, but our yeah. thoughts, and and we do mean this, thoughts and prayers do go to the family. We're thinking of y'all and sending y'all love. Man, they're a part of my childhood. I remember yeah. a lot of her music being a part of my childhood. Yeah. That's so sad. I'm so sorry. No, no. I just, I just happened to pick up my phone. I was like, oh no. Yeah. So, Jill's ran to his truck, sped away, and he was too much in shock to go to the cops right away. He was like, what the hell just happened? So he's like, okay, I'm going to go tomorrow morning. I'm just, I'm just going to go to bed. Fuck this. Fuck this world. I'm sure he probably had a couple of drinks and was like, F it. I'm done. But then he got in the, the next morning, and he said, quote, and tomorrow came, and I was like, I felt so ashamed that I got duped that he didn't report it. Oh, my Which God. Which I get, too. Because think about this. Yeah. I got duped by a, a Plenty of Fish website to go to a woman's garage 
at night, and then a dude was standing. You know, it, it looks like, well, of course you did, dude. Yeah. But that's on the outside 2020 vision versus in the moment. Right, right. So I get why he didn't go to the cops. <laughs> Poor guy. A week later, Johnny Altinger was also duped in the same way. So from what I could gather, Mark was cheating on Jess with Tracy, his college girlfriend. Remember the one who said like, oh, I couldn't trust anything that he said? Yes. Well, girl, homegirl was back with him from what I understand. Not sure the details, but he and Jess were separated. He must have been impossible to live with. This is the second woman who's been separated while they were married with. And... This eventually led to divorce in 2010. Mark put the dates, October 3rd and 10th, on the family calendar as days that he was at a psychiatrist. He wasn't there. No. October 3rd was when he was trying to kill Jill's Tetro, and October 10th was Johnny Altinger. So he lured Johnny to his garage the same way, except this time he was better prepared. He had a real gun? <laughs> no. Or a lightsaber. A real lightsaber. <laughs> a real lightsaber. A, a, um, a, a, um, sword. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very astute, but no, he actually went, he did something correct for once, which is sad to say. I wish he didn't. He also gave a new name, not Sheena this time. It was Jen. And he knew he had to get at the drop on Johnny, like, right away, instead of giving him time to fight back like Jill's did. So Mark put plastic sheeting in his garage like Dexter, like an asshole. I show up and there's plastic sheeting on the floor. I'm not walking in. Absolutely not. I've seen Dexter. And also we've seen Lethal Weapon. Remember they did that in Lethal Weapon, too. I think it was with the South Africans. I don't remember that. Yeah. So he must have been nerd crushing really hard on himself as he was putting that sheeting up like, oh, yeah, it's going to be so sick. Do you think he stopped to whack it? Probably. Because he's that's him. And turns out he's just douche. Johnny got to the garage expecting Jen. He was hit in the head, bludgeoned and stabbed to death. And Mark had achieved what he set out to become with life imitating art. However... Mark didn't plan the disposal of the body, like, at all. Like, he wasn't like, oh, and then I'm going to do this. It was literally just the first steps. You guys, you got to go through the whole plan from A to Z. Oh, man. Yeah. How many times do we have to tell you? And and honestly, if he wrote his scripts like this, bro, come on, man. What are you doing here? You've got, you've. You got to cover everything, contingencies and everything. Exactly. So he did, he partially cut it up. Then he tried to burn it until eventually he put it in plastic bags and put it in the storm drain behind his garage. Never, never by your house. But he had like weeks to do this. Okay. And I'm going to get into this because he shouldn't have had this amount of time. No. At all. No. And I also want to say something, everyone. Cutting up the body is never a good idea. It takes too long. It's too time-consuming. It's too difficult. We've learned this from many, many people. Yeah. When are you going to learn? Yeah. We, we, we tell you murder's never the answer, but you don't listen to us and you do it anyways. Yeah. Stop trying to cut up the body. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So 
The other thing Mark didn't count on was that Johnny had a lot of people that cared about him and wondered where the fuck he was. Because all of a sudden this guy's going to meet a girl and then he just disappears. That's not normal by any means. There's no reason for that to ever happen. So Mark had more work to do by lying and saying that, oh, you know, Johnny was going on an extended trip to Costa Rica and he even emailed Johnny's work a resignation letter. Get ready for some shitty police work because they were like, oh, okay. Yep. Sounds I mean, good to me. Canadians are real nice, so they're not going to assume people are lying. <sighs> Apparently Canadian cops are, but their friends weren't. And they broke into his apartment. They were like, absolutely not. Johnny did not just leave out of nowhere. We're getting into his apartment and finding evidence for you to show you this guy did not just leave to go to Costa Rica. And guess what they found? His passport. Of course they did. So how the hell is he supposed to be in another country without a passport? And this is why I don't have a passport, because you would never believe I went to another country. You want to know why? I can't fucking get there. (laughs) Exactly. So this, this was when they first started to open up the investigation into his murder. Now, Johnny's been missing for a couple of days now, days. And his friends are like, again, not normal, guys. He said he was doing this. He's now in Costa Rica. Okay. Mark, again, not being the nefarious, meticulous serial killer in his, that he thought he was, he kept Johnny's car in his garage the entire time. Is this the guy that said he bought it for like 200 bucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew this story was yep. familiar. Yep. And not only that, like, if the cops had... This is in 2007 and eight. Had they pinged his cell phone, Johnny's cell phone? Why would you do that? You, you, he would have been in the vicinity of Mark's house. Why then? Why wouldn't you? It's in the garage. You could look in the windows in a garage. Like the what? cops literally did not do their job, like at all. Here, guess how they found Mark? I don't remember. Tell me, because I don't remember. He told the cops. That Johnny had sold him his car on his way to Costa Rica. And the cops were like, why are you volunteering this information? That's so weird. And Mark was basically saying like, oh, I just wanted to let you know because I thought it was weird too. And like, you know, he just dropped it off at my place. And I was like, okay, sure, man, whatever. I'll buy your car. You know, you know how that is. People just like show up going, hey, man, I'm going to flee the country. Here's my car. You want to buy it? I had that happen last week. Right? Me too. Totally. What kind of car did you get? Oh, I got a, a, a Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. I got a red Camaro. Sick. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's going to trace that back to us, right? Mm-mm, no. Okay. okay, cool, cool, cool. So the cops were like, ah, oh, that's weird. And that's when they turned the investigation to Mark. Yeah, of course they did. So, sorry, Canadian police, you done fucked it up. And all your work was done for you by all his Johnny's friends and family. And by Mark himself. I mean, you know, because he's so smart, he was smarter than the police, and they were never going to figure that out. Surely it's not me, the person coming to you and telling you that I have his car for some reason. So why the dating site? Like, why, why is he hunting people there? Because they're desperate? 
well, yeah, that's that's one. But this was kind of a way for him to justify killing someone who deserved it. Because remember, Dexter only killed other serial killers or like pedophiles or right, people right, like that. Right. So he would make up this like story in his head that they were like men who were stepping out on their significant others or something. Oh, yes. Because people on Plenty of Fish are stepping out on their significant <laughs> yeah, others. Exactly. It's not Ashley Madison. Yeah, right. And even if they were, again, murder is never the answer and they don't deserve to die. So, it, no, dude, that's not how this works. And if that wasn't enough evidence for the cops, now, now keep in mind, they have the car, they basically have Mark saying, I was in touch with the person right before he died. And then they also now are opening up an investigation, investigation into him because it's easy to find shit on a public website where you had communications. I mean, yeah. come on. Like, there are plenty of fish isn't going to give that over to you immediately. Of course they are. They're like, here you go. We don't want to associate it with that. No, they're not going to tell you. It's ridiculous. So he also published SK Confessions. Of course he did. You want to know why? He's going to turn it into a movie. Exactly right. This dude made an entire screenplay about this, like, serial killer confessions. That's what SK stands for. About a serial killer's, like, life. And it was, like, this whole treatise and shit. He had it on his computer and he deleted it. Because, you know, they can't get it once it's deleted. No, you can't. It's gone forever. Forever and ever. Like Snapchat. Exactly. And here's a snippet. By the way, I have the link, guys. So if you feel the need to read this piece of shit. Nope. Mm-mm. By all means. I'm good, thanks. But here's a quote from it. This is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. Like anyone just starting out in a new skill, I had a bit of trial and error in the beginning of my misadventures. Allow me to start from the beginning and I think you'll see what I mean. <laughs> misadventures, you know, like Huck Finn. Hilarious. So just cute. Yes. Oh. I tried pottery, and these are my misadventures. Fuck. <laughs> this guy is uh, on another level. In fact, I almost want to bless his heart, but, I, I mean, I can't. You can't. I'm filing him with Dennis Rader, Gary Ridgway, Israel Keys as one of the biggest douches on the planet. Like, and they are some douchey motherfuckers. I can't. I can't with him. Are you almost done? Because I, I can't with him. I know. Obviously. I don't want to arrest you, but he, I'm just, I, I know. can't. It was, a, it, I was why I kept it short. I was like, oh, this guy's annoying. Obviously he was arrested and tried for murder. He said he acted in self-defense. Oh yes. Because the guy showed up and was like, are you Jen? And he's like, no. And he's like, what? I'm going to kick your ass because you're not Jen. And I had to defend myself. Yeah. Is that the story he told? Basically. Yeah. And they were like, that's weird because, like, it looks like you lured him to your garage and then you had everything ready to kill him as he showed up. Let me guess. He was painting his garage and that's why the plastic was down. Right. Well, and don't forget, filmmaker. Oh, yeah. They were painting props. you know, it's what... Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, April 12th, 2011, Johnny Alterner's friends and family finally got justice because Mark was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Mark tried to appeal, stating, quote, the media attention surrounding my case was so extensive, so blatant, and so overtly sensationalized that it is unreasonable to expect any unsequestered jury to have remained uninfluenced by it, regardless of the judge's instructions in the charge. And sufficient evidence was presented to raise reasonable doubt on all required basis, and that his lawyer didn't 
address key points on the state of mind and credibility. See, and here I thought he would love all the attention. Me too. He hated it. It's like, dude, you're finally... He is what's known as, and I didn't want to say this because I think it's stupid that we give any of these guys names. They don't deserve more attention than they they have. The Dexter Killer. This Uh, is him. Stupid. Yeah, so that's That's his, like, argument. That's not even a good name. No. So they didn't buy the appeal. 2012, he finally dropped it, I guess realizing it was futile. He's still serving a sentence at the Saskatchewan Federal Penitentiary in Prince Albert, Canada, and Prince Albert. <laughs> I know. He's caught up on every Dexter episode in jail, and I wonder if he's a fan of the latest season. Hmm. I don't. I don't care. I don't either. He can rot in there. And that is the horrendous story of Mark Twitchell. I'm like, this story sounds so familiar. I know this story. Is that that guy? Is that that guy? Is that that guy? Is that the guy that bought that car? Yeah. Yep, and in fact, he's also on a Netflix documentary. I can't. I think it may be Catching Killers, where essentially you're you're going to see the same thing I'm saying, where you're sometimes like, "Look, how how are you not doing your job?" You know, like, it, had he not gone to the cops, I even wonder if Johnny's murder would be, have been solved. Well, I don't know. Who do you got for us? Well, you're gonna love this. I'm gonna nail it right on your nerd. Head. Head. <laughs> like, I started to say it. I'm like, that sounds stupid. It's fine. So, my trophy dad, you're going to love, was born June the 11th, 1910, in St. Andre de Cubizac in southern France. And he was the youngest to Daniel, an international lawyer, and Elizabeth, the daughter of a wealthy local wine merchant and landowner um, of their two sons. So he's the youngest. There were two boys. He was the youngest. And, of course, this is none other than y'all's friend and ours, Jacques Ives Cousteau. <gasps> Jacques Cousteau. I, you know, I don't know as much about him as I would like to. Tell me. Well, I'm going to tell you all about him. Buckle up. Yay. So Jacques actually suffered from stomach problems and anemia as a child, but he learned to swim when he was only four years old, and this started his lifelong fascination with water. So when Jacques was 10, the family moved to New York for two years, and he learned to speak fluent English, and his swimming and snorkeling improved um, while they were in the United States. And as part of his summer camp program, he started diving and cleaning up a nearby lake. And this is where his love of underwater swimming began. And then when the family returned to France, they moved to Marseilles, and Jacques started snorkeling in the sea around the city. Um, When he became a teenager, he started to become curious about the mechanics of things, and he bought a movie camera, and he took it apart to understand how it worked. So he always loved water and how things worked and the mechanics. So that's kind of how a lot of things started for him. So even though he was inquisitive, school was not his forte. And he was sent to a boarding school 
in this city in France that I can't say. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. I'm so sorry. At the age of 13. And he completed his preparatory studies. And then he attended college Stanales in Paris. And then in 1930, he entered the French Naval Academy in Brest, France. After he graduated from the academy, he was a gunnery officer and he joined the French Naval's information services. Um, Jacques took his camera along for the ride and he took a shit ton of rolls of film at all the exotic ports of call he stopped at in the Indian and Southern Pacific Oceans. So this is something he's done like his entire life. Wow. And in 1933, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant and spent the next two years sailing the world seas. And in 1935, he started training to become a naval pilot. And he was almost done with his training when he was in a car accident that almost took his life in 1936. Oh, wow. He was traveling too fast on a bend, and his car flew off the road. He was paralyzed on his right side and broke dozens of bones, including multiple fractures in both arms. Surgeons wanted to amputate his paralyzed right arm that had become infected, but Jacques would insist on keeping his arm, even though the infection was life-threatening. Um, he, of course, he, as we all know, he ended up living, but his career as a pilot was over. Mm. During his rehab, he started swimming in the Mediterranean Sea every day. And one of his friends, Felipe Taliez, gave him a pair of swimming goggles that he made from aircraft pilot goggles. Oh, yeah. And it allowed him to swim down and see the sea floor. And this really opened his eyes to, like, all the mysteries that actually laid under the water. And be and that started his mission to actually understand the world underneath the water. Wow. So he married Simone Melichor, um, July 12th, 1937. And they had two sons. Jean-Michel and Felipe. And Jean-Michel and Felipe, um, in time, they would join Jacques in all of his underwater exploration. So eventually it became a family thing. During World War II, when Paris fell to the Nazis, the whole Cousteau family went and took refuge in Melgrieve. It's a small town near the Swiss border. And during the first couple of years, um, Jacques continued his water experiments and exploration. So, here's a little history lesson for you. 1926, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, or scuba, had been invented. But Jacques was not happy with it because the airflow from the tanks to the diver was poorly regulated. So he actually experimented with breathing pure oxygen instead of air in hopes that would help him remain underwater longer. But oxygen toxicity at depths of below 45 feet caused him to lose consciousness. So he kicked that idea to the curb. Oh, man. He was like, nope, I don't think so. No. So what do you think he did? He made his own suit. He tried. He started to try to find a better way to control the airflow. Ah, and in 1942, 
email Gangnan invent he had invented the demand regulator to control gas flow to engines. And this allowed gas um, through a demand to flow through on demand instead of continuously. So Jacques saw this as a potential for divers. Yeah. So air could be fed to them only when they breathed in and not so their supply would last longer. So Jacques contacted Emile about modifying his valve. And in 1943, he met Emile and um, come to find out Emile, he had a passion for discovery as well. And this was about the same time that compressed air cylinders were being invented also. So they began to experiment with snorkeling hoses, body suits, and breathing apparatuses. And so they created the first aqua lung that allowed divers to stay underwater for longer periods of time. So he immediately incorporated this into the scuba apparatus and it gave him exactly what he wanted. He could swim freely underwater without the heavy helmet, the diving suit and the air tube that connected him to the ship. So basically they invented the air tank with the valve and the thing and the thing so you could swim freely. Wow. Because before that, you had the big helmet with the tube that was attached to the ship. Yeah, like a like copper thing, yeah. super heavy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really awkward. You can't really explore that much. Yes. Cool. So in 1947, Jacques set a new depth record for a free diver descending 300 feet under the sea. Nice. In 1951, he took a scientific leave from the Navy and began his own sea expeditions. And he told a wealthy British philanthropist, Thomas Lau Guinness, about his plans to make undersea documentaries. And Thomas was really excited about this. And so he figured the best way he could help out was to get Jacques a ship. So in 1950, Thomas bought a former car ferry and leased it to Jacques for one franc a year, which is which was a dollar three in U.S. dollars. Oh my gosh! And the ship's name was the Calypso. Oh, pretty. So Jacques had the Calypso virtually free, but he still had an exuberant cost of equipping and manning it. So he began to beg for government, the government for grants and manufacturers for free equipment. Um, He also, to raise money, he and Frederick Dumas co-authored the 1953 book, The Silent Work, about their scuba diving adventures. The book was a huge hit. It still is sold today and sold more than 5 million copies. Whoa. And this book was the first time ever... Anyone suggested that members of the whale family were able to navigate using echolocation. Oh, cool. So Jacques finally released his first color documentary in 1956 called The Silent World. And this was the first time the majority of the population had seen underwater footage. And the documentary won Jacques the 1957 Academy Award for Best Documentary. The irony is this documentary um, 
is that a lot of marine life was killed during filming by accident. And recently, he's been criticized for this, but Jacques became one of the world's greatest advocates for marine conservation. Exactly. So, you know, it's... It was 1956, 1957. Right. So we all have to context everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason of the the release of the documentary after the release, the sale of scuba equipment increased greatly because people now wanted the same underwater adventures that Jacques was having. 1956, he chose to retire from the French Navy and he retired as a captain. And in 1960, the Golden Fish, which was another documentary he made, won the Academy Award for Best Short Film, and he was featured on the cover of Time magazine. And in the interview for Time, he predicted that one day people would have gills surgically added to enable them to live underwater. Honestly, dude, I wish. (laughs) Hands in the air, I'd be the first one to do it, because I've... You're right? Like, pick me, pick me. Dude, who doesn't want to be a fucking mermaid? <laughs> you are outside your mind if you don't want to be a mermaid. <laughs> like I although I will say, like the dark part of the seafloor where it's like like pitch black. Okay, that part, I'm out. With the weird fish with the lights. Yeah. yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So nineteen sixty one, President JFK gave Jacques the National Geographic Society's gold medal. Ooh. Nineteen sixty-three. He explored the idea of establishing manned bases on the seafloor where divers could be oceanauts. Dude, like Sea Lab. Hell yes. (laughs) The bases were partially funded by French oil companies who were interested in exploring the seafloor. But in the end, he decided that he would rather work in conservation than oil exploration and abandoned this idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, currently seafloor exploration is carried out at a lower cost and lower risk using underwater robots. Now he did make a documentary about underwater bases called World Without a Sun and won a third Academy Award for Best Documentary in 1965. But he's probably best known for his TV series, um, the Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau from 1968 to 1976. And it's about his adventures on the Calypso, which also included Jean Michel and Felipe as part of the crew. So I'm sure you've probably watched those. I've seen snippets. I know you weren't alive. I wasn't. I've, so I've only seen snippets and it was like on PBS when I was young. Yeah. So that's why it's like one of those things where I know a, enough about him. But not as much as I would like. So when I was doing this research, in October, National Geographic has a movie coming out, The Life of Cousteau, I think, or something like that. Cool. I actually watched the trailer. I'm kind of excited about it. Is it like a documentary or is it like a a movie with an actor playing him? No, no, no. It's about him. Okay, cool. It's um, got like... um, Footage of him through his Uh, life. Okay, that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm in. So 1985, on his 75th birthday, Jacques was presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Ronald Reagan, 
In the same year, he invited, listen to this, Fidel Castro for dinner on the Calypso and persuaded him to release 80 political prisoners. What? <laughs> Hell yeah. This guy, I didn't even know he did that. That's awesome. Jacques is amazing. He also was an important part in developing the under or the waterproof camera that could withstand the high pressures of deep diving. Oh, that's awesome. So until Jacques came along, no one really knew what was hidden beneath the surf surface of the ocean. He made people not only fascinated with what was beneath, but care about what was in the oceans. Um, in fact, Jacques' documentaries were from a conservation standpoint and showed the destructive practices that were happening that people were unaware of, like the use of dynamite for fishing, the impact of lost fishing gear in the oceans, and other things Pollution like that. Pollution, and God, just, just us as a society, what naturally we do to the ocean, unfortunately. So, it wasn't like, I'm just going to go film these fish. Yeah. <laughs> he was bringing awareness as well. Like, hey guys, this is they're in our charge. We need to make sure we're taking care of our planet. So in 1960, he also challenged Fran France's plan to dump radioactive waste in the Mediterranean Sea, and the policymakers canceled the proposal. Um, yeah, what the hell? In 1970, he convinced the Italian government to remove 500 drums of toxic chemicals that had been previously dumped in the Mediterranean by a sunken freighter that had been in the ocean for three years previously. What? Guys, this is like baseline no-duh stuff, right? Well, it was six, 1960 and 1970. Ah, that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, this was a very new concept. Like, oh, maybe we shouldn't put our, our, our nuclear toxic waste in the ocean. I don't know. 1990, at the age of 80, Jacques took six kids, each from a different continent, to Antarctica on a special mission to call attention to the importance of protecting the Arctic environment. Oh, I love him. The love of the ocean didn't stop with him. Jean Michael, his son, found, founded, funded, founded? Yeah. Ocean Future, the Ocean Future Society in 1999 to carry and honor his, carry on and honor his father's work. He himself has produced 80 films of his own and received Emmy Awards, a Peabody Award, Seven Door, and a Cable Ace Award. Wow. He has written several books, hundreds of articles. Jean Michael or Jean Michel has worked on the grassroots level and the highest level of governments to create change and has worked to educate young people to bring about change. Felipe, his other son, was one of the world's first first scuba divers, a photographer, a filmmaker, an author, and a pilot. As a child, he traveled the world with his family and his father. And as an adult, he continued to work closely with his father on his expeditions and projects. Unfortunately, he passed away in a seaplane accident at age 38. Oh, honey. So young. Fabian, one of Jacques' grandsons, learned to dive at only four years old. Oh, baby. He has been diving and working to educate others about the ocean ever since. Fabian created a 14-foot, 
1,200 pound shark submarine that allows him to move among the sharks without influencing their behavior. Oh, that's cool. Celine is one of Jacques' granddaughters and is the founder and executive director of Cause Centric Productions. It's a nonprofit that creates cause focused multimedia content. content. She is also a member of the World Economic Forum Council of Oceans and is on the board of Plant of Fish and Adventures and Scientists for Conservations. Wow. Alexandria and Felipe Jr. are Jacques' other two grandchildren. They both work on ocean issues and conservations as well. Alexandria is a filmmaker and an activist, and Felipe Jr. is an oceanographer and an activist as well. So that is why Jacques is my trophy dad. Not only has he done so much to bring awareness about our oceans, like he really is the first person who brought what was underwater to the everyday public. Yeah. But he was a conservationist and an activist for it as well. And then he taught his family about it and his grandchildren. And they're continuing on his legacy. But in he's not always been great, though. In 1990, his wife, Simone, passed away from cancer. A year later, he married Francine Triplett. Jacques and Francine had a daughter, Diane, and a son, Pierre Yves. Fun fact, their son, Pierre, was born in the early 1980s. Ah. Yes, while he was still married to Simone. Ah, got it. (laughs) The timeline's a little... (laughs) Yeah. Squidgy. So near the end of his life, Jacques and Jean-Michel actually were in a legal battle over Jean-Michel wanting to use Jacques' name for commercial purposes, Mm -hmm. and he didn't want him to. Jacques passed away June 25th, 1997, at the age of 87 from a heart attack while he was in Paris. Oh, man, if you're going to go anywhere, it could be a lot fucking worse. So, I mean, well, he was born in France, so... He got... He was... Full circle. Basically at home. Yeah. Where he died, but that's why he's my trophy dad. Even though he stepped out on his wife and had babies, we're gonna kind of overlook that a little we're bit. We're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all do shitty things. We're gonna overlook that. I mean, his wife did have cancer, and that's real shitty, yeah. but... um, But the good he did in the world is, is huge, and especially at a time whenever... They thought it was okay to dump toxic waste in the Mediterranean. Then, yeah. He said, <laughs> he said, no. No, don't do that. He There's said, no, sir. Don't do that. Creatures down there that want to live, and I don't know, maybe you want clean water as well. Just an idea. Yeah. That's so cool. So that's why he's my trophy dad, and you got your nerd on. <laughs> I did get my nerd on. I got my nerd on in two different ways. I guess you can say Mark Twitchell's a little nerdy, but he's like the bad side of being nerdy. He was just weird. He was just weird. Jacques wasn't him. weird. Jacques, we claim. Yeah, like he created like modern scuba. Yeah, and conservationism for the oceans. Mm-hmm. Like where would our oceans be if there was not a Jacques Cousteau? Who knows? A worse off than now, which is 
really saying something because they're not good right now. Because there's a pile of trash the size of Texas somewhere in the ocean. Yeah. Gosh. Jacques, come back and take care of that. Y'all throw your trash away where it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying like you got to use like metal straws. No. I mean, you can find ways and then recycle your, your plastic ones or cut them up so that they will end up in the toilets. But or just put it in the trash can, man. Just, yeah, just don't throw Not the ground. The ground. Just don't throw it on the fucking ground. Don't mess with Texas. Ah. Remember that Unless one? you're messing with Greg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Throw, throw your trash on Greg's lawn. <laughs> throw it in the trash can. If you're going to throw it on the ground, make sure it's Greg's lawn. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll we- see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>